Hey, this is Paul Ollinger, comedian and host of the Crazy Money Podcast. You're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 204 of Chasing Dreams. Guys, we are over the hurdle of 200 episodes. We are continuing the trek. Can't believe we're here at 204, and I have an amazing guest for you guys, Paul Ollinger, who you just heard. He's a national touring stand-up comedian. After achieving success in the corporate world, he was one of the first 250 employees. Among them, he was the first one of at Facebook, which blows my mind he finally decided it was time to give in to his true passion stand-up comedy which is a story in and of itself but since leaving his job at facebook paul made the world of stand-up comedy his full-time job and provides his audience with hilarious but honest no-nonsense approach to the everyday paul is also the host of the crazy money podcast it's a podcast in which he interviews entrepreneurs celebrities authors and artists with a humorous perspective on money wealth and careers and, you know, the show focuses on how we think about and live with money as a society and as individuals. And I can only imagine that you need that humorous perspective to kind of make that, you know, such a serious topic fun to listen to. So let's let's get to it. Paul, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. And so to break the ice, we're going to do some uh, icebreakers. All right, let's break some ice. All right. So I got a bunch of questions randomly. We're going to pick about three or four. Let's see how it goes. Right. <laughs> let's, let's just see how you like do. Trivial pursuit cards. Well, you there. know, just that, that question of where would your dream picnic be served? My dream picnic would be served on the, um, on the bluff at GoldenEye in Jamaica. Oh, that sounds like a place I need to go to. It's the best. Of all the places, Jamaica. Absolutely. I, I just turned 50 and I went there for my 50th birthday and took a few friends down there and we had the greatest time ever. It's GoldenEye is the resort where uh, Ian Fleming wrote all the James Bond novels and they've created the most incredible atmosphere. Uh, it's, it's the place is magical. Oh, I got to put that on my bucket list. That sounds amazing. It's, it's without a doubt. Happy belated birthday. Thank you so much. All right. What dramatic event happened in your town that people still talk about today? Uh, the Super Bowl uh, from two years ago where the Atlanta Falcons blew a first half lead in the most tragic and <laughs> Atlanta way uh, was maybe the worst thing that's happened in Atlanta in the past uh, 30 years. That's fair. Maybe we shouldn't dwell on it, but yeah. It was... It was it was rough. <laughs> it was soul shaking. It was rough. And yes. that was, I was rooting for Atlanta that year. God, well, you have to. I mean, you have to root against Tom Brady because. This is of, also true. Let's move on. Let's yeah, move on. Let's, let's not go there. All right. What kind of music would cause you to leave a fabulous store? 
Ooh, um, boy, that's a good question. There's so much bad music to choose from, uh, Amy J. Uh, <laughs> he calls me. You know, I. Um, you well, now it? I'm blanking, but but I definitely am a person that. Like, well, like yesterday, where was I? Oh, I was I was at a I was at a, I was going to a, a show. I was going to an open mic, and I was early, so I sat at a sushi bar next door, and they were playing like. I can't remember what it was. It was like, it just wasn't working for me, but it was like maybe like late sixties doo-wop or something. Oh. And I was just like, this is the wrong kind of music for a bar. <laughs> for me to try to enjoy a sushi roll. That, that's just, yeah. Not the kind of music I, I would expect. Yeah. It's like, what are we at a diner? I mean, like let's anyway, that was, that would do it. Doo-wop. If you ever, be. um, have you ever, you watch the Simpsons, you ever see that gif where grandpa walks in takes his hat, puts it down, walks right back out. That's what I see you doing if you heard that music. Walked right yeah. in, oh, let me go right back out. Yeah, that was that was not conducive to the overall environment in that restaurant. Well, let's see if this question will help. What was the right. best TV sitcom ever for you? Ooh, well, you know, as a kid growing up in the 80s, we watched a whole lot of MASH and MASH reruns in our household, but I'd say the best one was, was cheers. I remember watching, especially in college coming home after the studying was done uh, and hanging out with my buddies and watching episode of episodes of cheers and laughing our heads off uh, was pretty, was pretty fun. You know, I was not old enough for cheers at the time, but I remember watching um, that's uh, I probably watched Cosby when it was okay to watch Cosby. And then yes. I remember wings. Do you remember wings? wings? Yeah. I remember Wings, but I was never a Wings guy. Was, mm. that, that was, was that an offshoot of Cheers? It was an offshoot of something, I believe. Yeah, I don't know if it was Cheers, though. I know Frasier was an offshoot of, of, of that, but I don't know if totally. that one was, you know? Um, no, I, I never really watched the Wings. I didn't watch the Wings. So, let's, let's talk about this interesting career you got going on. Let's you, do it. You become the, one of the first 250 people at Facebook. Mm -hmm. what makes you want to join Facebook? Because I can imagine at the time it didn't have the popularity or notoriety that it does today. Uh, I needed a job. That's, That's how fair. I found my way there. <laughs> That's fair. So but I'll go back a little bit in time. Uh, I, I was doing stand-up comedy in Los Angeles full-time from 2005 to 2007. I had wanted to do it for a long time. And after I paid off my student loans, thanks to working at Yahoo!, after the dot-com bubble, mm -hmm. Yahoo, Yahoo uh, rebounded and its stock went, uh, grew very quickly. And I saved enough money to pay off my student loans and put some money in the bank. And I've been saying since I tried comedy for the first time when I was in graduate school, that if I ever was single and had enough money to live for a few years, I was going to give comedy a swing. And so in 2005, I left Yahoo and I went and did comedy full-time in Los Angeles. And I was I was terrible when I started. I was a little better than terrible uh, two years later after I had done four or five, 400 shows or so opening for really great comics. Um, and But I realized that you don't just quit your job and then like a year figure out how to do stand-up. Going from zero to a sustainable pace in stand-up comedy is an eight or 10-year journey. And... And Ralphie May, the late Ralphie May, told me one night early in that that period 
in the green room. He said, don't worry, you'll start to get the hang of it after about eight years. And I was like, eight years? I don't have eight years to figure this out. Like, this needs to work pretty soon or I got to go back to work. Which, after I got engaged to my wife and (laughs) mother of my two wonderful children, uh, I did go back to work. I, 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 it was about 2007 and I got engaged and I was like, gosh, you know, maybe I need to get a job because I don't want to, I don't want to mooch off my wife. Family, right? Yeah. And about that time, the phone rang and a buddy of mine from Yahoo, who was running the West Coast of uh, Facebook sales team, called and said, hey, I don't know what's going on with you in stand-up comedy, but if you're interested, we need a sales guy in LA where I was living. And I was uh, of the mindset to take him up on it. And at the time, when my wife said, well, what is this Facebook company? And I said, well, it's, it's growing really fast. And someday it could be as big as MySpace. Wow. <laughs> I really said that. I really said that. It was, about, it was about 25 million users. And by the way, I am. I just happen to be wearing my Facebook t-shirt. The irony is there. But uh, I, don't, I don't walk around sporting the Facebook gear every day, eight years after I left the company. But I just happen to be wearing it today. Um, it was meant to be. Yeah. So, so that's how I ended up. And I am very proud of having worked there and um, uh, proud of the friendships that I made there and proud of what the company has, has, has done. Um, not everything perfect, but I'm very proud of, to, to be an alum of Facebook. But that's how I got there initially because I was trying to do stand-up comedy and I needed a job and I was very happy to be a part of the, the 25 million users that were using the, the, the tool at the time. Today, it's over 2 billion that use Facebook every month. All Crazy. Over and yeah. so were, when, you were, when you went to Facebook, did you quit comedy entirely? Were you working on it on the side? What was the mindset there? I bailed completely. Yeah. And I, I, I kept trying to do it for a while, for a few months. But it just, I'm, I'm pretty all in kind of guy. And if I, I decided that if I was getting married and starting a new job, that I needed to be focused on both of those things and that half-assing comedy wasn't when, you know, when that half-assing comedy wasn't going to work if I was going to succeed on the level that I wanted to succeed sure. at work. And that means, you know, 50 to 80 hours a week, depending on the week. So that being said, was that also part of why you left Facebook? Did can you talk about what led you to making that change? Because you kind of flip flopped, in a sense. I've I've been I've been flip flopping, uh, career my comedy and corporate world experience uh, for for oh I don't know fifteen years now. So so uh, I worked I worked at Facebook for four and a half years. I was promoted twice to I ran the Southwest region and then I ran the West Coast region. And living in Los Angeles, I was flying up to headquarters in. Palo Alto quite often. Their, mm-hmm. their headquarters is now in Menlo Park, which is just, uh, just you know, down the road from Palo Alto. But they asked me to join, to, to move up to be at headquarters. And at the time they did, I just, I didn't have another four year, three or four years worth of commitment to Facebook in me. Mm. And there's a variety of reasons uh, that for that, part, partly because my mom was sick back here in the Southeast. Um, partly because of uh, the, the difficulty in, in, in being part of the sales team at Facebook at the time, and, and partly because there was something inside of me that really around this comedy and creative thing that was, that was eating at me. And um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I really 
I really wanted to be doing something else as great a company as an ex- as exciting a future as that company had at the time. Um, I couldn't articulate it, but I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now. And, and that tension drove me to, to essentially leave the company. So it's interesting because I recently had to make a similar kind of decision due to my father's health, leaving a company I enjoyed coming back to Maryland to take care of him and whatnot. And I don't regret that. I don't, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Same sounds like you were in a similar position. When you left the company, though, did you know comedy was going to be the thing you were going to try again? Or were you like, you know, I just got to find a better fit somewhere else doing something else besides this? I, I didn't know that comedy, I, I was not willing, I was too scared to admit to myself yeah. that I really wanted to do comedy that, and, and in fact, I was, I was really burned out. And, um, the, the lessons I've learned from leaving Facebook are that, uh, I didn't have a plan and I don't regret leaving Facebook. I would have, re- I would have left at some point before too long after that. Mm-hmm. I regret how, how I left Facebook that I left without a plan. Mm. I left I left going away from something, not moving towards something. And I think that's because I was, I was burned out and I was tired and, and I wanted to, I, I needed a break. I probably just needed a sabbatical. But um, so, so I didn't have a plan when I left. And it took me a long time to admit to myself that comedy was really what I wanted to do. And by that time you had what, probably two and a half years under your belt, having truly given comedy a shot before you kind of went back to it? Yeah, maybe about two years full time, and then uh, a little bit of uh, change part time. Part time before that, so you know, maybe yeah, two and a half years full time equivalent. So, what's the impetus? I mean, you have two years where it didn't really work out so well. I mean, you did your best, you tried, right, and then you mm-hmm. stopped. What makes you come back to something where you seem to have a passion for, but wasn't going as well as it you thought it should the first time? You know what I mean? Well, you know, it it was going well. I was progressing. I just didn't realize how long the path ah, was. Okay. You know, when I left to go do to, to go do comedy, if you would have sat me down and said, "You shouldn't quit unless you're going to dedicate a decade to this," I would have been like, "Well, then I'm not going to quit because I don't have a decade's worth of money, or I don't have sure. you know a decade's worth of energy and focus." Mm-hmm. And um, the path was just much longer. I was getting better. I was meeting more people. I was getting invited to do things and auditioning. You were for hustling. Things. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, so, but, but I just wasn't on a, I, I had a plan B that was pretty, was pretty damn good. It was better than most people's plan A. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think in comedy and many artistic endeavors, if you have a plan B, then you're going to be tempted to take it because trying to invent yourself as as an artistic person, I say creative person, I don't mean to limit creativity to the world of arts. But if you're trying to invent yourself as a creative person, you need to give yourself a decade's worth of runway. And so having done that, now you've been in it for almost 10 more years, I think it's 15 years that you've done. Well, it's, 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 I left Facebook eight years ago. I, I screwed around for six months and then tried to get going in, um, in, in comedy and writing again. And one night I went out to an open mic and bombed so bad that the next morning I started looking for a job again. Cause I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have what it takes to, to make it through this. And then I went back to work for a year as the president of the software company. And 
you know, six months into doing that, I was like, the company wasn't doing terribly well. And six months into it, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I've been blessed with this crazy good fortune of Facebook stock. I have flexibility to do whatever I want to do. And given anything that I want to do, this is not the choice I should be making. And I went and I said, I'm going to quit after a year. I mean, eventually after a year, I came to this decision that I was going to quit and I was going to write every day and I was going to go back to doing stand-up comedy. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was going to give it my full attention. And I don't know what else I would do at this point. You know, yeah. like I, I'm doing this because I feel like I'm just compelled to do it. I, I spoke yesterday with the founder of, um, of a nonprofit called Year Up that is changing the lives of tens of thousands of young adults. And I have tremendous admiration for him, but that's not what I'm called to do. Sure. You know, and so I'm just I'm just following what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing and and how it manifests isn't kind of up to me. It just sort of happens. Well, I'm a big believer that it's about the journey and not that final destination. So like if you're having fun, if you're enjoying comedy and what you're doing, you know, then that's what's important, because at the end of the day, it's not, hey, did you make the goal? It's how was that life? How was that journey you just had? And it sounds like you were enjoying it once you put comedy full time and you started making that progress that you wanted to make. Yeah. Enjoyment is, is, <laughs> is a rel- too much? relative term, you know, like, well, yeah. well enjo- you know, it's like I'm doing the thing that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. I'm working on things that matter to me. Sometimes the, and, and, and that's the sort of high level long-term view. Sometimes the days are a grind. Sure. Some days I feel like a failure because I'm not, getting done what I want to get done, or I'm not getting the traction that I want to get in the, in the business. Um, other days feel like I really, I feel like I'm really on the right track. And those, those days are great, but like overall 10,000 foot view, I'm on, I'm doing what I want to be doing, but that doesn't mean that every single day is enjoyable. And that's a point I want to really emphasize to people who are out there thinking about chasing their dreams. Mm -hmm. Don't think that when you quit your job and chase your dream, that it's all going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really freaking hard because in work, you've got people telling you what you're supposed to be doing. You have roadmaps and they might feel like a grind, but they're a luxury. Once you start trying to figure it out on your own, you're like, God, I'd kill for a map. I'd kill for a boss telling me what to do because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing today. And I could go and work my ass off on something for the next three years and it could be the wrong place for me to invest my time. So it's just, I mean, it's satisfying that I'm doing what I want to do, but like chasing your dream in and of itself, isn't going to make you a happy person necessarily. That's a good point. And I'm glad you said that because sometimes we think, uh, even with the people I talk to who are like, I'm going to chase my dream. Do you realize it does take work? It doesn't just, it's not like that. Right. And, and for you, Having look looking back on your journey, were your mentors right that it was a grind? Wait till eight years and then see how it goes. Was there a changing point for you? Well, I'm I, I'm probably I'm, I'm approaching that eight year investment in stand up, and mm-hmm. and things are starting to open up a little bit, and and I'm I'm better. I'm just better than I was three years ago. Three years ago, I was like, why am I not getting more opportunity? Mm-hmm. And now I look back and go, well, you weren't as good as I am today. And in two years, I'm going to look back at me now and go, I was a little naive to think that I should be getting more opportunities than I was getting because it just takes time. And it takes time to develop your craft. It takes time to develop your act. 
to develop your material. And um, yeah, I, I'd say eight to 10 years is, is pretty much what it takes to get competent at this at, at this art form. And it wasn't, it hasn't been a, a slow journey or a quiet, well, let me not, that's relative to you, but it hasn't been a quiet one. You've done some wonderful stand-up. I listened to your, as I told you offline, your Jeff Dunham, you opened for him, right? <laughs> and then I just yeah. saw on, I, I can't remember where I saw it, you were a headliner at a comedy show recently, I think. Yeah, I had I headlined uh, Westside Comedy Club in New York City uh, late last year. I headlined Caroline's on Broadway earlier this year. It's so amazing. I'm making progress. And, yeah. Yeah. But you're not, and you're not even just keeping still with comedy. So now you've also, you've written a book. It was called, um, You Should Totally Get That MBA or Get mm-hmm. an MBA. Um, yep. And I saw you do a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a, a skit kind of comedy video about law school versus MBA. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Given I, I went to law school, I, I, I take a little offense to it, but I Good. laughed nonetheless. Good. <laughs> laughed nonetheless. Uh, and so you've been still keeping busy with these things, the book and now a podcast and the Crazy Money podcast. What made you want to start that? Well, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the specific answer to that question. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you do want to go down the path of being uh, a writer or a comedian or somebody who's expressing herself through through these kinds of programs, you're going to have an evolution. And I wrote that book, You Should Totally Get an MBA, because I sat down and I was like, okay, I, I, I've got a lot of experience and insights into business. I've got a lot of experience and insights into humor. So I want to bring something to life that um, expresses those two things. And I just, I reread that book a few months ago and it's very small. It's very niche product for a very small number of people, but I laughed out loud probably 15 or 20 times. And so I'm proud of what I built, but it's, it's not exactly the, it's, it's not the platform I, I want to leave with the world. You know, Um, I I do believe it's helpful to a small number of people, but as you evolve and go, okay, I, I did that. I can do more. What else can I do? And, you know, after I left Facebook, I was asked to speak to a lot of uh, civic groups and um, uh, t- uh, startup incubators and things like that. And for a couple of years, I talked about the Facebook experience, but then I was like, this isn't who I am anymore. This is not where, about where I'm going. It's about where I've been. So what experience could I share with these people that I think would be value, valuable to them? And I started talking about uh, the experience I had when I made money. I grew up one of six kids in uh, a very loving home but things were tight financially, or at least I felt that they were okay. um, because my brothers and sisters were always, you know, fighting over that last piece of frozen pizza. <laughs> and so um, I had some economic stress and I thought, hey, I'm going to grow up and make some money. So there's no financial stress in my home. And so when I made money at Facebook and I left, I was like, hey, my life is going to be perfect. And for three or four months, it was awesome. And I worked out and I got back in shape and I traveled and my wife and I did cool stuff. And I really bonded with my kids and I read all the books on my nightstand. And then one day I came home from dropping my kids off at school and I turned on my computer and there was nothing there. There's nobody asking for my help. There's nobody make, giving me opportunities. There were no customers complaining. There was just nothing there. And I was like, well, okay, who am I? What am I about? If I lost work as an identity and I felt lonely and depressed and adrift even though I had all this money and I was like, Oh wait, so work isn't only a paycheck. Mm. It's about 
It's about camaraderie. It's about relationships. It's about uh, meeting challenges. It's about learning. It's about belongingness, uh, as Maslow would say. And so I didn't know what I didn't know about work until I quit. And so money has been making these decisions for me in the back of my head without me even being aware of it. And so I started to make, I started to speak to people about my experience after the exit, after, after I had this big experience. Cause I think the subtext of a lot of the technology world is, Hey, we're going to start this company. We're going to build it. We're going to sell it for a lot of money and then we're going to be rich and we'll be happy. I and think that's you're right. not, and that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Yes. Money solves a lot of your problems and it's, all else equal, it's better to have more than to have less, especially, you know, if you're talking about you having very, very little, but past a certain point, more money doesn't make you any happier. And that's been proven by psychologists, but sometimes, uh, and, and ec- economists, but sometimes you have to live it to actually, to, to understand that experience. And that's where the, uh, that's a long answer to your question. Why am I doing this podcast? I want to explore how our relationship with money affects our decision-making and our overall happiness. Having talked and done some 20-plus episodes, 25-plus episodes, I think, what is the most surprising thing you've learned? What could you say? Well, I think the universality of, of this issue mm-hmm. and the, the fact that it's just not addressed, I don't, I don't think it's being addressed. If you, if you look at what's out there from a financial publishing standpoint and from podcasts, the majority of these conversations are about how to make money, yes. how to invest money, yes. and how to save money. You're right? right. So picking stocks, clipping coupons, and winning the lottery in some form or fashion. But that's not what this is about. This is about how to handle money and how to understand what we want from it so that we can we can optimize our happiness, that we can live the kind of lives that we want to live. See, it's interesting. <clears throat> One of the things I've said is I, I think that people, I think TV Hollywood um, puts the perspective that people forget there are people that are happier living off of $30,000 than people who are making $150,000. And it's mm-hmm. just a matter of, it's not the fact that they have more money. It's they found something in themselves to be happy with, right? It's not just about the money that they make. It's about knowing your wants and needs. And I'm going to, th- I think it was Seneca. It may have been Epictetus that said your wealth isn't defined by having a lot. It's defined on having few wants. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the relationship between what you want and what you have that defines your wealth. If you don't want very much, you don't need to have very much. If you can live within your means, you know, our desires are, 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 uh, our our desire to own things and to purchase things leads us into so many, so many traps. You know, we go and overspend and then we put things on our credit cards and then we're in this spiral of being trapped by the credit card companies. And I had that experience when I was 25 and I felt powerless and I woke up feeling it wasn't when I'd wake up in the morning, not a half hour would go by before I started worrying about my money and how I didn't have any flexibility. And it Mm -hmm. robbed me of my, of, of my autonomy. And so when I made money or when I first got out of school and, and, and at a business school, I had a hundred or $80,000 in loans and that was 22 years ago. So that'd be like $140,000 today. Probably. So I wanted to pay those off. And the most, the, the richest I've ever felt is the day I paid off my student loans. 
I'm not kidding. No, I, I believe you. Because I, buy, I bought myself back and I have a lot of money today, a lot more money, but I, it's, it's great, but I don't feel as wealthy mm-hmm. or as palpably excited about my financial life as I did back then. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand. My 20s, uh, when I first had my first real job, I was under the illusion that I needed all these material things. I had racked up credit card debt and it wasn't until my 30s when I got rid of that that I could breathe. And feel like I could do what I wanted because I didn't have that hanging over my head. Now, if I could do that with my student loans, that'd be a different thing. But I imagine that same freedom would come once I get rid of it. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. We just don't realize, like now today, I don't shop as much as I used to in Mm -hmm. my 20s. I don't need to. I don't, like my mindset has changed, kind of what you're talking about. And I think we don't realize how much we create versus what we actually need. Mm-hmm. until we grow up and, and put ourselves in a different position or change our perspective. Yeah. And I think if I could, if I could change one behavior in this country that would make people better off, it's just to have them understand what they want and, and what they could spend their money on that would actually make them happy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of reasons why, you know, they shop because um, it, it makes, it takes their mind off their problems for a little while, but it only makes their problems bigger. And, you know, I'd love to see that trend in our, in our society, uh, reverse itself. Well, I, and I think it's, by the way, I'm super funny and I'm just, I'm talking about a bunch of downer <laughs> stuff right now. <laughs> and I just want to just I, put that I, out I there. Said, yeah. I just want to, I just want to go on the record to remind people I'm a comedian. I'll be at the <laughs> laughing skull lounge later this month in August. No, but I, I mean, like I, I have two kind of like modes. I have like super silly, make fun of stuff. And then I get, I get like, like I said about not doing comedy while I was at Facebook, I was like, I have to focus on this because I want to do a good job. And sure. when I start talking about serious stuff, I get pretty serious, but just as a reminder, I'm hilarious. <laughs> well, you're still balancing uh, the podcast, this um, comedy career that you have. I'm curious as you're moving towards comedy and you're still working through your acts, you're, perfecting your routines and, and whatnot what can we expect from you are you, you planning to put a a dvd together or anything are you trying to put a show what can we expect still working on your well, bit I've got, I've got an ep which is a uh an album that went on a diet uh called alive on the upper west side which is from the headlining set that i did at the west side comedy uh, club in new york city last december and that's available on itunes and amazon and wherever you find digital content um, but yeah, I mean, I want to look, I guess the progress of a comedian I'm, I'm in kind of what I've, I, 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 where I am right now is I'm pretty good minor league ball player. Okay. You know, I may, you know, my, maybe even going to the minor league all-star game. So I'm going to a lot of festivals around the country. I'm going to be at the big pine uh, festival in Arizona in Flagstaff, Arizona later in September. There's some other cool festivals that are coming up that I can't mention yet, but th- those are where kind of like the next generation of comics gets discovered and worked on. So the next thing is, well, you want to get on TV, you want to get a Netflix special, you want to get an appearance on Tonight Show or on Jimmy Kimmel. Those are things that, that I'm working on too. The podcast is an opportunity for me to, to, to bring not just humor, but sort of some, some philosophical ideas to life and to talk about things that matter to me and get my name out there at the same time. And, um, so, so I don't, you know, who knows? Like, there's, like I said, there's no roadmap. There's some, right. there are guideposts. And the idea is you just got to keep working 
and getting better at comedy. And eventually, as Steve Martin says, you got to be so good they can't ignore you. And at a certain point, I feel like I'll get there. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm not great yet, but I'm pretty damn good. And so we'll, you know, we'll see what happens over the next few years. What is your most memorable performance that you've had to date that stands out that, you know, when you look back on fondly, you know, the, um, that show at West side comedy club back in December, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the first time that I headlined, but it was, uh, it was it was the first time I had been in that club, which is a really neat club. It's in a neighborhood where I used to live when I was right out of business school. I have a lot of fond memories. And there were about 120 people in the room. I knew most of them. A lot of them were my friends and former colleagues and customers. And it was a really special night for me. It was It was just great because I think one of the reasons you do comedy is because you want to feel understood and you want to make others in the room feel understood. And when those two things match up, that's when you have a great night. And that, that happened that night. And it was really great. Of course, the first, well, the, I headlined Caroline's on Broadway in March. And, and that's a legendary stage. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very flattered to be asked to do that. And that was great, too. But, but you know, the first time, it just all really came together that first night uh, in, in New York in, back in December. Awesome. And, guys, we'll have links in our show notes <clears throat> So that you can find his EP, so you can support that and definitely check it out. And so, you know, that's why it's great to hear how many, and especially that that one that you've recorded is one that you really enjoyed and stood out from. What is a lesson for upcoming comedians that may be listening to this podcast that you would give to them? I would just say think in decades. Mm. And I think that anybody's going to chase their dream, whether it's to um, start a business you know, build an app, create a movement. You got to think in decades. And I just turned 50 years old. I don't have that many decades left. But if I, if you want to, if I wanted to reinvent myself, I have to give myself the space to do that. And that I have to remind myself every day that even though I'm, I've put in a lot of work, I'm still not at a decade yet. And it's a, it's a conundrum because you know, Ma- Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours, mm-hmm. call it call it a decade of work, even though that's not how the math works out if you're working a 40-hour week, but just call it a decade's worth of work. Sure. You can't find out how good you're going to be until you put in the work, but you can put in the work and still not be that great. Or you can put in the work and you can be great and not be noticed. Yep. That's just how the world works. You know, I've, I've, done, a, I've done some angel investing this past couple of years with some brilliant, brilliant people who know are incredibly connected. And sometimes the businesses just don't work out and that's the way it goes. And so you have to be prepared. Uh, you have to, you have to be prepared to put in the time with no promise of reward other than the opportunity, opportunity to do that thing that you want to do and to have the answer to the question, what would happen if I gave it my all? That's I've never, I've never had or received that advice thinking in decades, but I can see how powerful that is. And just kind of changing your mindset with it. Well, that's what, when I, when I, when I went to go do comedy the first time, Mm -hmm. that wasn't in my mind. I'm glad I did what I did, by the way. Sure. But uh, I mean, it's all worked out tremendously. I've been very, very fortunate and lucky in my life. But I think if, if I had been told that when I left, I wouldn't have left at that time. Mm -hmm. So um, I got two of two years of that decade in 15 years ago, but they weren't all in a row. Um, You know, 
here I am later in life, I'm set up with a great wife, beautiful kids, and with a nest egg that allows me to do this. So it is easy for me to say that because I don't have to go back to work next year sure. uh, unless something crazy happens, knock on wood. But, um, so, but, but I'm also committed to just saying like, I'm going to give this thing, you know, several more years. If something just, if it just doesn't work out, maybe at that point I'll make the decision. You know, I started this podcast, like I'm not doing any fewer than a hundred episodes until I decide whether or not it's, it's, you know, it, it has the opportunity to, to, to go somewhere. And I'm 20, I think we've put up 25 episodes so far. It's, it's, I'm getting the kind of feedback from people who listen to it that makes me go, all right, this is working. These are the kinds of, these are the kinds of thought provoking things I would want to hear from people sure. who listen to the podcast. Oh, that's great. And, and that's what you want, right? From a podcast is, is to have and stir that kind of emotion into people and that kind of thought. Yeah. So, We've gotten Again, to, I'm ho- I'm hilarious. Just to remind so, <laughs> you, I'm really really funny. You're the one answering the questions. I, just, I know. I just put a topic out there. So <laughs> here's your chance. We're gonna play All a quick right. game. Let's so, do it. There is a timer on the screen. Let me know when you can see it. Oh wow! Can you, you see got it? all the tricks? Yeah, you know, every now and then. All right. I can see it. There's going to be 30 seconds on the clock. You are gonna select this or that. Which would you prefer? The average in 30 seconds is about nine. Let's see how you do. All right. Right? Because, guys, remember, he's hilarious. So let's see what answers he comes up with. Mm-hmm. All right. Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. Indian or Thai? Indian. Sitting or standing? Standing. Bond or born? So what was that? Bond or born? Oh, bond, for sure. Noise or silence? Silence. Solo or team? Ooh, team. Card games or board games? Board games. Oh. What was that? How many was that? Let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. So not bad. Uh-huh. All right. You, t- you took some time thinking about some of your answers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the next one was going to be Har- gonna Hogwarts with, or X-Men. Go with, was it what? Hogwarts or X-Men. That was going to be the next one. Neither. You know what? I don't know any of that stuff. I'm, I, I don't. Never really followed it, got into it? I don't know. I don't watch any of those. My kids are into all that stuff, but I don't watch any of the superhero movies. What about like, you haven't seen Black Panther? You're a racist. It's like, no, I'm just not a nerd. (laughs) I don't go to any of that stuff. I don't. It just really isn't my thing, guys. It's not. It's not. So Star Wars, nothing. Oh, Star Wars is different. I mean, like, yeah, I mean. How is Star Wars not nerdy? Star Wars is, I mean, Star Wars came out when I was eight years old, right? So, I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater with my friend Tom Spaulding. So it was dorky. I mean, I, I, well, I guess it was dorky, but there's, there's a real story there. It's, it's, you know, Star Wars is real. It's not people who can fly. <laughs> it's real. It's real people in that bar. I, I don't know. And yeah. lightsabers are real. I don't know why. I don't, I, I, like, I dig Star Wars, but I'm not going to watch like the, I, I, I don't know. Did you watch any of the new ones or is it just classic first three? That's it. Well, no, I, 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 um, my son is kind of more into that kind of stuff than I am, but Mm -hmm. I've watched all of them only because I just wanted to watch a movie with him. Sure. I've seen like revenge of the Sith and all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing like the first three, but 
which actually aren't the first three, right? Four, five, six the first three that were released. But um, yeah, so I've watched it, and it's and it's cool that you know, like I at least understand a little bit about what the narrative is, so that when he's making his his clone Legos, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Boba Fett or whatever, you know. You can you can be in with with the lingo that he uses. Yeah. That's right. And by the way, I use Boba Fett in a joke about how um, 23andMe is going to clone all of us. I, pr- I promise you it's hilarious. As, as previously established, I'm hilarious. <laughs> He's hilarious, which you can find out by watching his EP or listening to his EP. That's right. Because it's audio only, right? It is audio only. Alive on the Upper West Side. Link in the show notes. You guys can find it at amyj21.com slash episode 204. Paul, love the conversation. If these guys want to find more about you, where can they find you and connect with you on the interwebs? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Paul underscore O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. Mm-hmm. Ollinger, Paul underscore Ollinger. And uh, my website is paulollinger.com. Sign up for my email list. You can see my shows and links to podcasts there as well. And you're not just limited to the Atlanta area. You're going all around, right? I mean, you just did New York. No. I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio on September 5th. Um, I'm going to be doing a private event in Cincinnati on the 7th. I'm going, uh, I've, I've shows coming up in New York later this year and I can't, uh, be at that festival in Flagstaff in September and hopefully a few other places in October, November. All the dates on your uh, website. Yes. At paulallinger.com. Fantastic guys. Be sure to check it out. Paul, any last words for our guests? Uh, good luck with your dreams. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something really pithy, but you know, look, <laughs> I follow your heart, but don't be a moron when you're doing it. You know, <laughs> uh, Hey, that's good advice. Y'all pay attention to that one. Don't be a moron while doing it. Paul, thank you so much for tuning in. Amy J. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to chasing dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.